Today's reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 39. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. get this mic back on. So uh, Frank wanted me to introduce you to Tom Schrader. Frank right now is actually up in Chicago. He's, he claims he is watching the Chicago uh, Blackhawks tryouts and stuff like that to make sure that it's all according to the way Jesus wants it. <laughs> that is his words, not mine. Um, but uh, we have a, a, a real treat this morning. We have Tom Schrader joining us uh, to, to preach uh, here. Tom is the founding pastor of East Valley Bible Church, uh, and East Valley Bible Church, if you remember, about five and a half years ago, merged with Praxis Church and became Redemption Church. So that's kind of where we came from. So he is also one of the founding pastors of Redemption Church, and we are just incredibly blessed to have him. Some of you guys also know him from his priority living uh, Bible studies that he conducts all around town. Um, and this is kind of, a, on the 15th anniversary of September 11th, we wanted him to come in and and talk specifically on that. I'm assuming that's what you're talking about. I was told. <laughs> we'll see. Um, and uh, but so we're taking a break from the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and also, it, just so you know, this is Tom is basically who Frank is channeling every Sunday. So even if you've never heard Tom preach before, you've heard Tom preach before. Um, so will you guys please welcome him and uh, as we as we hear him preach. I made it. Thank you. Well, good morning. Great to see you. I, uh, that introduction is kind of interesting because it's, uh, it, this is the only time that I've ever spoken somewhere where I've invited myself. <laughs> uh, it's really weird. I want to give you the history to it, and I, I want to be true to it. I, I am excited to be here, and, uh, 
I, I don't know if I can capture that excitement and clarity in the message. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where I have something inside of me that seems so clear and then you get it out and you go, well, it's not quite as clear as I thought it was. I was, uh, I don't know, at home know, two months ago and I got a call from uh, the editor of the East Valley Tribune. So I live in Gilbert and East Valley, that makes sense. And uh, he said, uh, I'd love to do an interview with you. And I thought, well, that seems wise. I've got all sorts of opinions on things and that seems like a really, I don't know why it's taking you that long to come to that. And he said specifically about September 11th. And I thought, that was, I, that's weird. And he said, I was in your church the Sunday after September 11th, and I remember exactly what you said. Wow. Because I don't remember it at all. <laughs> and he, he started it. And so he said, I'd like to come out and bring a photographer. It was all this stuff. And I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I, you know, put him on this side. This is my best side. But... But I went to the file cabinet and I got the message that I did this Sunday following September 11th. And I went through the notes and I thought, okay, this, this, this is good. This works. And we did the interview. And I was going back and forth with Frank about something else. And I texted him and I said, September 11th, 2016, that Sunday is the 15th anniversary of September 11th, the Twin Towers, and I think I got a great message for your church, and, and it would really fit well. He said, well, let me, let me check, and I said, who are you checking with, buddy? <laughs> There's nobody to check with. There really isn't even an answer other than yes on this, but, but <laughs> you just check your little heart out. And, uh, and, and, and so he came back and said, yeah, I think that would be great. And, and, and so that's what, I, that's what I wanted to do. Now, it, I'm going to give you, I'll give you a little backstory because it's always, just, you know, do you remember where you were on, on September 11th? And, and Frank was quick to remind me that many of you won't, that you were younger or you were in second or third grade and, and, and so now this is a history moment to you. But, but, but my point is this, I'm, I'm gonna do essentially the lesson I did 15 years ago. But here, here's, here's what I, which cut down on the preparation by the way, <laughs> which is great. But here, here's, here's what I learned about the, the, the aftermath of September 11th. Okay, now you gotta really, you gotta really dial this in. If you're from the U of A, you're in trouble here because you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to pay attention for 30 whole minutes and that's a whole college career for you. So. Here's the deal. September 11th, 2001, we had this collective moment. This moment of tragedy and confusion and all that went with it. What I've learned, okay, and this is the big takeaway today, 
is that we have our own individual September 11ths all the time. And the truths that were principle, principles that were true for that collective moment are true for the individual moments. So, so when you say, uh, my divorce was final three years ago. He died, she died eight years ago. I've been cancer-free five years. Those are all kind of September 11th moments. And so I, I, I want to go through the, the, the very same big idea and provide to you, hopefully, some comfort. You, you may be right now going, could have stayed home. First day, first day of NFL. Don't need that. Everything's going great. I don't need any September 11th message. Or you may be at rock bottom saying, skip the introduction, get to the meat. I need to hear this. Okay, to both of you groups, let me offer this insight. Okay, say the same thing to both of you. This too shall pass. Okay, those of you that are doing really great, fasten your seatbelt. Though that you are in real trouble, it, hey, it'll get better. And those aren't just, you know, idle phrases. So here, here was the big, big point. I, let me give you my, before I, before I get to that, I'll give you my September 11th story. I was scheduled to speak on September 12th to a group of uh, two dozen uh, senior executives from MasterCard. So we were at the Homestead Resort, and I think it's Hot Springs, West Virginia. It's, it's magnificent. And I take any occasion like that to turn it into a trip. So I was in Washington for the week before September 11th. Got in there, I, 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 don't, I don't know, the 6th or so. And had this magnificent time. Walked the mall. Uh, we're in all the Smithsonian's, down at Ford's Theater. We had a little bit of a connection that got us into the White House after it had closed. We had to wait for the president to get out of the Oval Office. And we were up on the West Wing. And it was, it was, just, it was just like, for me, it was like this great trip. And, and on the way to the homestead is the Appomattox Courthouse. It's the place where General Lee surrendered to General Grant. And, and so as driving to get to the homestead, we're at Appomattox. I'm in a little gift store. There's a lady that has a stool about like this with a radio on it. And I walk in and there's some kind of bulletin going on. And I said to her, what is it? And she said, a plane just flew into one of the Twin Towers. Now, if you hear that now, just to show you the difference, if you hear that right now, you think, what? Terrorist. 15 years ago, all we could think of is, how bad is this pilot? I mean, literally, that was the thought. It must be a Cessna. We had no idea what kind of plane it was. And we thought, this is some guy getting his, doing his first solo or something. And I walked down to right outside, from about to where the door is, to the place where Grant received Lee's surrender. And a park ranger came running up and said, you're going to have to vacate the park. The country's under attack. <laughs> I said, buddy, here's a whole bunch of history for you. I'm from Phoenix. I'm never going to get here again. Okay? That thing's right there. I've been reading about this for 20 years. And, and we may be under attack, 
But we got to be about the one millionth target on this attack. Nobody's going to attack. This is, a, this is a vacated battlefield. And he said, sir, get out of the park. Well, I've heard that before, so away I went. <laughs> Nothing new to me. I hear that every day. So I'm driving back, and I, and I, and I get to the homestead, and there's an envelope from MasterCard. And they said, we've all driven back to New York. Stay as long as you want. Charge everything you want to MasterCard. And I said, well, I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm, I'm, I'm on my way to the gift shop to do some sh Christmas shopping right now. So this would be great. Well, we had no idea. I turned on the TV, and you saw the magnitude of this. And that began a journey of me trying to get home. I had a plane ticket out of Dulles for the 13th. That isn't going to happen. Amtrak, you couldn't even get through. So I had a little Kia. It was one of the first Kias that were made. It was about the size of this music stand. <laughs> and so I called Budget, and I said, I've got a Kia, um, you know, and I need to get to Phoenix. Can I come in and trade out a car? And they said, well, we don't have a lot of cars, but why don't you bring that in? And I thought, well, that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> so got up the next morning, went down, drove a little bit, got to the equivalent of a Circle K, went in, asked a guy, I said, do you have a map? And he said, where are you going? And I said, Phoenix. And he said, go right down here three miles to Interstate 40, make a right. When you get the Flagstaff, make a left, and you'll be in Phoenix. <laughs> exactly what he said to me. He said, you don't need a map. Save your money. <laughs> OK. So I spent four days driving back. Stopped in a place in Henrietta, Oklahoma, called the Pig Out, the Pig Out Palace. I love those kind of places. And then drove home. And then got up on September 11th and delivered this message. That, that week had been an interesting time because we had people calling us, asking us to open the church so they could come in and pray. That Sunday, I, I don't know if you all remember this, that Sunday was like a Christmas Eve. We had chairs down all the aisles. We took the students and had them sitting on the floor. It's a Sunday when the churches were filled, but the stadiums were empty. It was a very unusual time. And, and I had four days to think about this. And, and, I, and I had a point I wanted to make. So let me put it up on the screen for you. Here's the, the grand big point. Okay? The doctrine is essential in uncertain times. Now, now, some of us run into problems, and doctrine may be the wrong word. I, I don't know. I want to say biblical truth is essential in uncertain times. Those uncertain times remind me that the Bible is true. There's a saying that says, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Well, here's what I've observed. Suffering and hardship tends to make biblical liberals of us all. We start to bend the truth. A lot of the words you sang in the songs this morning 
when now hardship comes, suffering comes, difficulty comes, you start to wonder, is that really true? So here's the sub-point. God is sovereign. That word sovereign, Webster defines as above or superior to all others. Supreme in power, rank, authority. God is in control. If you get in a little time capsule and go back to September 11th, 2001, one of the big, where was God? Where was God on September 11th? Okay, here you go. The same place he was on September 10th and September 12th and the same place he is today. I have to be reminded of this. Let me me drill deep now for those of you that are contemplating your personal 9-11s. I have to remember God's sovereign. God's in control. Uh, Even when he doesn't necessarily feel like it. This is from Daniel chapter 4. It's a guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of the world. Just prior to this, on, on one evening, he is walking around the wall that surrounds the city. And, and I'm doing it from memory, so I know, I know the dimensions are off, but the wall is something like 60 feet high. It's so wide that they used to have chariot races around it. He has this moment. He has this moment where our equivalent would be he's got a cigar and, he, and he's got a little brandy and, and he's walking around and he's surveying all of this and he's humming his favorite song. Remember his favorite song? How great I art. And he's humming that baby and he's impressed and all of a sudden, bam, God strikes him and he spends years wandering around naked, eating grass. At the end of that time, Nebuchadnezzar shares his testimony. At the end of this period, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures forever. God is in control. I'm not. We were talking to a friend the other day and talking about a mutual friend, not in a gossipy way, just saying, have you seen him, da-da-da-da-da, and, you know, he's struggling. And I said, oh, and he said, here's what he said. He said, he is a control freak. I don't know one person who doesn't want to be in control. Some people hide it better than others, but I want to be in control. I, I want to think that what I do today affects tomorrow, and that I can determine it, and if I can conceive it and believe it, I can achieve it, and all that junk that you pay a bunch of money to go here. Right? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying don't think positive, strong. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, listen, there's stuff out of your control. You, you can eat right, exercise, and you should, but that doesn't mean you aren't going to get sick. I went six, I'm 66 years old. I went 62 years, I was never sick. I've gone four years and I've been healthy. And I had open heart surgery, I got lupus, which is a disease that strikes primarily 
women 18 to 35. 90% of people who get lupus are women 19 to 35. I heard that and I said, I cannot wait for my first support group meeting. How awesome, how awesome is this gonna be? Got a half a dozen kidney stones. I, I had prostate cancer surgery four months ago. I got all sorts of stuff. And you know what? I, I, I can't necessarily stop it. He's in control. It, it doesn't mean I, I just give up. I'm saying I, I work really hard, but he's the one who reigns. His dominion lasts forever. Psalm 139, he goes before you, behind you. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. He's in control. And that's not meant to be this scary thing. It's meant to be this comforting thing. It's the sub-point of this, that things are temporary. There's always an event, a 9-11 type of event. There'll be one this year. I'm a big football fan, more college football than NFL football, but, but there's always a time in the season when a player or a coach um, experience, they experience a tragedy. The Nebraska football team had a punter who was killed this summer. There's always some event like that. And, and people will say, this puts everything into perspective. That's what those 9-11 moments do. They give you perspective. Uh, uh, Sandy, my wife, is uh, very different than I am of, about so many things. But uh, I'm a, I, I don't think I'm a hoarder, I'm a saver. <laughs> and I'm not sure what the difference is, but she, she found a picture the other day. She said, I found a picture of yours, you'll want to see it. Uh, she said, you really look tall and thin. I said, really? Where is this picture? And I went in, and sure enough, I looked very tall. Now, it was a picture of me with the eight and nine-year-olds that I was coaching in Little League. And I was taller than almost all of them. Okay. So I looked tall. And it was from 1971, I looked pretty thin. But in perspective not so tall and thin. Those 9-11 moments give us perspective. Here's what James writes in James chapter 1. Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor. Now, now here's what he this This occurred to me this week. So this is a last minute addition. When we hear vapor, we tend to think of somebody who passes away in an unexpected way. A, a young man, a young woman. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've gone to a memorial service and a person said, weren't you surprised that Bob died? Not really. He didn't seem to me to be the only guy that was ever going to beat this. <laughs> I was surprised by the timing. But what James is saying, I think, is bigger than that immediate thing. He's saying, 
all of life's a vapor. I'm in uh, physical rehab right now, and I thought I was going to graduate Friday, but I've regressed, uh, so I have another week. And the next move is to go into a group. And, and, and so they showed me the group, and I said, I can't, I, I can't go in there. They're, they are way too old. <laughs> and I said, look at them. And, and the gal said to me, Tom, they're all doing more than you're doing. And I said, that may be true, but I said, look, I said, how old is that guy? 94. And, and he just leg pressed his age, which, by the way, you can't do. Well, here, here, get this. So if you're here and you're 94, your life's a vapor too. What he's saying is all of this is temporary. Our flinch is to pretend it's going to last forever. I'll go to such and such a city, make a profit. But it's like a vapor. Instead, here's what you ought to do. You ought to say if the Lord wills, we'll live and also do this or that. But I boast in my arrogance. I act as though I'm going to live forever. So you're in the middle of this hurt and pain. And let me tell you, the last thing I want to do is minimize the hurt and pain. If there's one, I was talking to somebody this week. And I said, the thing that's really struck me lately is how much pain there is around us. How much economic pain there is, how much physical pain, how much relational pain. And, and, and I... And I I, I don't in any way want to distract from that. But what I want to say to you, and I say it not as, not, not as a joke, but, but I say it seriously, is, is for you to remember, no matter how bad it gets, it can only last a lifetime. No matter how bad this gets, it can only last as long as that vapor God's sovereign, things are temporary. Here's the third sub-point. God works all things together for good. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And, and this is, that you have on the screen, is the English Standard Version. I'm going to read you the New American Standard. New American Standard said this, And we know God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, a lot of times at retreats or seminars, if I'm talking about this, I will say, can anybody quote Romans 8.28? And there's always some hot shot who thinks they're a Bible quiz guy and they want to pray. And here's what, they'll, here's what they'll do. They'll go, all things work together for good. Well, that's a part of the, group, uh, of the verse. In fact, President Bush, right after 9-11, quoted that part of the verse. But the verse is way bigger than that. If I say all things work together for good, I make that verse about me. Here's what it says, and, and I'm, I'm sticking in the New American Standard. And we know God causes all things to work together for good. This is a verse about God. It's not a verse about you. But because it's a verse about God and his sovereignty and his care and his love for you, it becomes a very important verse to you. 
uh, last Monday was Ellen's 2000th show. I love Ellen. Okay? <laughs> and here's what I know. If, El if Ellen's doing a 2000th show, here's what I know. Oprah's going to show up. So I, I couldn't see it, so I tape it. And I'm secure enough in my manhood and my Christianity to say I really like Ellen, okay? And I like Oprah. I think Oprah's a fascinating lady. Well, well, here's one of the things Oprah says all the time. And here's why this is important for you to know this. Because your friends who think you're nuts to be here on Sunday believe this when Oprah says it. Oprah says everything happens what? For a reason. Well, if that's true, then there must be someone, something, some power, something that's in control. If everything happens for a reason, whose reasons? Who intellect? Whose power? And what the Bible tells us is God causes all things to work together for good. It tells us God must be all-powerful. He must be all-knowing. He knows everything about you. He knew what you were going to say before you said it. He knows everything you've ever said, everything you ever will say, everything you've ever done. And here you go. This is, you read it, or it was read to you, you read with it, and he loves you anyway. That's pretty amazing. I'm with people all the time whose marriage is falling apart, and one of the two will say, if I knew that about you, I'd have never married you. God's never going to say to you, if I knew that about you, I would have never chose you. If I knew that about you, I would have never saved you. He knows everything there is about you. In this 9-11 moment, collectively and individually, it's so important for us to remember that God is sovereign and, and that this is temporary. It's not at all saying it's not important. It's very important, but it's passing away. And God is working things together for good. Your, your sin, your mistakes, your sickness. I, uh, this election, I wish it were tomorrow. Just get this over with. I'm done hearing about it. I'm done. The only reason I don't want it to be tomorrow is I then got to live with one of these two. But, but, but I shouldn't say that. But, yeah, I know. But, but here, here, it's every day now. Every day I'm saying, he, meaning God, he's in charge of who's in charge. Well, he's in charge of the election. He's in charge of that deal that you're going to propose tomorrow that you really need to make. He's in charge of that marriage. He's in charge. Now, I had a couple minor points, and time can get away from me, so I want to be careful here. we got like five minutes, it is, is to not miss these points. Number one, God either caused or allowed 9-11. Now, I, I, I hang in a tribe like this. I go where generally there's people like me who like me, and that makes it really easy. But when I'm out in a tribe that maybe doesn't embrace my theology, let me say it differently, that doesn't embrace the theology of the Bible, <laughs> no, no. 
when I'm in that trial, and I say God either causes or allows it, there's a long line afterwards that wants to argue with it. Well, if God couldn't have stopped 9-11, then he's not God. Now, did he cause it or did he allow it? I don't know. I, I spend, and it's odd, we spend all of our time now trusting him, and somehow we'll understand him later, if even that's important. Here's the second thing. And it happened right afterwards. What was the destination of those who died during the attack? There were some cartoons. I don't know how well they'll show up on the screen that were in the newspaper uh, right after. This was one, clearly a Satan to the hijackers. You've reached your final destination. Here's the next one. Firefighters at the pearly gates. You've reached the top. A fitting reward for those who laid down their lives for a friend. And then the last one's a picture drawn by a school-age kid in Pennsylvania. And it might be hard to make out, but it's the Twin Towers and smoke going up, and it represents the people that were there. And there's Jesus that's receiving them. There, there was kind of a popular thought that if you were a hijacker, you went to hell. If you were an occupant, you went to heaven. If you were a first responder, for sure you're in heaven. This is really important, especially in times of difficulty. There's not one person in heaven because they were a first responder. Here's what the Bible says in Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I was in a setting the other day with the cutest baby I've ever seen in my entire life. Okay. I, it was unbelievable. This, this was the, and, and I mean, with my, I'm, I'm putting my grandkids in there and your grandkids in there. There's never been a baby cuter than this. This is the cutest baby I've ever seen. She sat right there and just looked at me with these eyes and this smile. She was about eight months old, never made a peep. She was unbelievable. And I said to her mother, something really stupid, it must be really easy raising her. <laughs> and she said, well, have you ever been around kids? <laughs> Here's what she was saying. Right now, right out in this room over here, two of your kids are going at it over a toy. <laughs> Their first words they learned were mine and no. Why? Because they've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans 6.23 says, The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. My fundamental problem, whether it's in 9-11 or in life, my fundamental problem is sin. And my sin has separated me from God. And the wage of sin is death. Death means separation. And that's everybody's problem. And dying in a heroic act of bravery doesn't save me. I'm in no way trying to diminish those people. I'm trying to put in perspective as you deal with your friends and, and those in your life that they are not going to go to heaven because they're a good person. All live sin and fall short of the But you've never met Nana. Let me tell you about Nana. Okay? Let me tell you what she was like in high school. That's all of this. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There's salvation in no one else. There's salvation under no other name by which we may be saved. There was one last point, and I made it 15 years ago, is that things would never be the same. I told you what Sunday was like after 9-11. The next Sunday, <clears throat> we didn't have to put any kids on the floor. The next Sunday, it was a crowded but close to normal. Statistics tell us that within four or five months after 9-11, church attendance was 5% less than it was before. That's pretty amazing. That means people in the world came in here in places like this because they were hurting and they heard our answers and they either didn't register or they didn't like them or we didn't answer them adequately. I don't know. I just want to warn you. You can have this life-changing experience that lasts for six or eight months. 9-11, the big one. 9-11, yours. God uses those things in your life to draw you closer to him. To put your arms around you. To, to say, it'll, it'll be okay. Doesn't mean it's going to end the way you want it to end in, in terms of short term. People who you love are going to die. Deals that you need to make are not going to make. But in the midst of that, he says, that's okay. That's part of my plan. Well, I don't get it. That wouldn't be my plan. <laughs> Good news. You're not God. And God says, I'll use that. And all he asks for us to do is to follow him and obey. Let me, let, me, let me pray. Father, thank you for this awesome and amazing truth. Help us not lose heart. Help us understand that you're in control. God, thank you for your son Jesus, the life we find in him and him alone, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.